The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Ren Bozuski. And I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. Okay, Ren, we have, we have a good one. We have one that's going to be exciting and surprising to you this week. Oh. Um, because uh, I had a chance to um, sit down with Joe LaFon Liddell, who we have had um, on one of our podcasts before. Uh, and two yeah, she of is our, delightful. She's the best. Um, and we got two of our new legal interns, and they're going to be telling us about everything that has changed this year regarding voting. Um, how oh, has there been changes? Has there, there has anything changed? <laughs> there may have been a couple of changes. <laughs> may have been a couple of light changes, um, but before that, let's check out Disability in the News. Hi, my name is Hannah Sepsen, and I'm a disability rights advocate at DLCV. Major Rideshare Company Lift is a million to change their ways after a settlement agreement with the United States Department of Justice. Lyft has been accused of denying rides to people with disabilities, therefore violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. A man who uses a wheelchair filed dozens of complaints with Lyft, saying Los Angeles drivers refused to drive him and said they could not transport him due to his wheelchair. Lyft has agreed to implement a complaint procedure that adheres to federal law and would hold drivers responsible for complying with their new wheelchair policies. These policies ensure people using foldable wheelchairs and walkers have equal access to rides. Drivers can face punishment, including possible termination, if they do not comply with the new policies. If a rider makes a plausible complaint, they will receive a full refund and a $10 credit for their future Lyft rides. Lyft is also required to pay between $4,000 and $30,000 in damages to the four individuals whose complaints led to the settlement. And Lyft will also be paying $40,000 to the government due to a civil penalty. Lyft will issue biannual reports to the Justice Department over the next three years outlining continued efforts to adhere to the ADA. During the settlement process, Lyft denied being subject to the ADA as well as denying any discrimination or wrongdoing. Lyft has since issued a statement 
stating that they are working towards becoming more inclusive and providing rights to everyone who needs them. Today we have in the studio, um, once again, our everything voting expert, Joe LaFon Liddell. Uh, and we also have two of our brand new legal interns. We have Camille Karabike and Mary Grace Witten. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for having us. All right, so I, I, have, some, I have some pressing voting questions for you guys. Um, First of all, seems like there's an election right around the corner. Are there any registration deadlines I need to know about? Deadlines are October 13th, 2020 to register. And that's for the November general election? Yes. Okay. And what about what about if I need an absentee ballot? Like what First of all, what even is absentee voting? Have we talked about that before? Yes. And I think Camille's going to talk about the absentee ballots. Sure. So when you register to vote absentee, you get your ballot in advance. So sometimes you'll hear absentee voting referred to as early voting. It used to be the case that you had to have a specific pre-approved reason to vote absentee. But for 2020, that requirement has been lifted, which means that anyone can vote absentee, which is really nice because it's a much more flexible voting option. Um, absentee voting is especially great for people who work during polling place hours, which are only 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., or who want to avoid crowds during coronavirus. You can request an absentee ballot in person or online, and you can complete your ballot in person or by mail. For the mail-in option, your ballot is mailed to you with instructions for completion, and you mail it back to your general registrar's office before election day. Um, and for the in-person option, you just go to your local registrar's office, and you're given a ballot to complete in person on the spot. Due to coronavirus, some localities are also opening absentee satellite sites, which are just additional locations that you can vote absentee in person. Um, so if you think that that's a good option for you, definitely check with your registrar um, to see if there are any absentee satellite sites uh, that will be located near you. All right, thank you. And for those of you at home who have never voted with a mail-in ballot, um, I will just say because um, because this job requires a lot of travel, I have voted mail-in ballot for, I think, every election since about 2009, and it's worked for me every time. It's a beautiful system, um, and hopefully some people who haven't had access to that before can access it now and stay safe and stay healthy. Um, Mary Grace, I feel like there have been some changes to the voter ID laws. You want to tell me about those? Yeah, you would be right. Uh, there's <laughs> been a huge change. So one of the most influential bills that I think was passed this session was the removal of the voter I, uh, photo ID requirement for voters. So it replaces the requirement that you have to have an ID with a photo on it, and you can use a wide range of documents in order to vote um, in person this year. So things that you could go to the polls with that would allow you to vote would be things like a voter registration confirmation document, a form of identification that has been issued by Virginia or one of its political subdivisions, which according to my research means that things that are like cities or counties or boroughs um, or anything by the US government that has been issued to you. 
You can also use your Virginia driver's license and it doesn't matter if it's expired. Um, and then you can also use a US passport. You could use your current utility bill, a bank statement, a government check, a paycheck, or any other government document that just contains your address and your name. You can also use a student ID from a private school or an institute of higher education in the state. Um, and for this, there does not need to be a photo. Or you could use a identification of um, a student or a student ID from a institute of higher education in the US and territories. Um, and this is actually part of another bill that was also passed this session that removed the requirement that you could only use IDs from higher education institutes in the state. Um, so that's a big deal as well. And this is kind of showing, I think, how expansive these voter ID laws have been. Um, and so really you can use a lot of different things to vote. And then lastly, you can also use a photo ID from a regular employer. So if you go to the polls and you don't have any of these things, you can sign a statement um, that basically confirms you are who you say you are. And then if you sign that, you can uh, cast a regular ballot. If you don't sign the statement, then you can just vote with a provisional ballot. And provisional ballots are a little bit, they, they get sent in and then you have to basically show your documentation. Um, by the time they will be counted. So there's a little bit more work that required, that's required after that, um, but there is still an opportunity to vote if you don't wanna sign the statement and if you don't have an ID. Thank you much. Now, I mean, normally, and Joel, I'm gonna ask you about volunteer opportunities, but it does sound like first and foremost, the best thing people can do to make sure that they're making a difference is by going out there and voting and um, voting for what they feel is right, voting for um, advancement for the rights of people with disabilities. But if people want to get out there and help the Disability Law Center of Virginia specifically when it comes to voting, um, Joe, is there anything uh, they can do about that? Um, right now, due to the coronavirus, it's, um, it's really hard for me to say what um, our efforts are gonna be in our physical um, 2021. Um, but right now, um, we are just going to be developing our efforts of trying to get the new laws out there, understanding what we need to do as far as um, getting that information out there, getting our new um, questions, our new um, website, um, as far as our questionnaire out there, um, making sure um, um, Virginians know what these changes are come um, November knowing that they know what they can do, what they need to know when they're out there. So that, that is gonna be our big push, um, getting the fact sheets, getting the information, uh, pointing everyone to our websites so they can let, let us know what's going on. Um, um, volunteers in that, in that aspect is gonna be key for us. Um, letting, you know, everyone getting out there and saying, shooting, you know, getting everybody registered, getting that information mm. out there. That is going to be the volunteers that we need to make sure that um, persons with disabilities are registered. Persons with disabilities know what that, inf what the new information is, what the new law is, and not get discouraged when they go out there if they don't have this ID, knowing that they can still vote knowing um, that they can vote absentee and if they're having any issues or concerns about absentee what they need to know um, is the alternative plans to that 
So that's, that's our job to make sure that that happens. And Joe, so if people want to let DLCV know how their, how their voting experience was, what's the best way for them to do that? On the website, we will be creating a voter um, online survey that you can submit your experience there and it will be shot straight to my email and I can review them. There also will be a postcard system that we can mail out for volunteers to utilize to mail back to us that will share to share with us their experience at the polling sites if you go in person. Um, and then the website is also there to just answer some questions telling us either in one way, what if you submitted a absentee ballot, because we want to kind of know what that experience was like too. And I also want to know what your experience was if you went and voted in, in person, um, because we need to see what, what that is like. So we will have the volunteers to go out who vote at their own polling site if they choose and to share with us what that experience was like. So we would do two, two experiences, the um, voting um, card that we will send out to the volunteers, and then we will also have electronic version that will, will um, come back to me in my email that will share that absentee ballot um, experience as well. So we're still developing um, those two versions, but it will be a way for um, everyone to get involved to let us know um, what that was like. So one more time, the deadline to register to vote is October 13th, 2020. October 13th, 2020. And mm -hmm. the deadline to register for an absentee ballot is it's October 20th is October 23rd. And and if you want to and if you want to register in person, that's the 31st of October. So Camille, before we go, is there is there anything else people need to know about absentee voting before they register for that? Yeah, there are a couple of things just to keep in mind. Um, so the first one is that if you're registering to vote for the first time this year, there is a five-day waiting period between when you register and when you can request to vote absentee. So you just want to keep that extra time in mind um, if that applies to you. And second, I would just make sure that you submit your absentee ballot um, by the date stated on the ballot instruction. So that's for your mail-in ballot. And the rule is that if ballots are postmarked on or before election day and received by noon three days after election day, they'll be counted. So you just want to make sure that your vote, you know, gets in on time. And finally, um, you want to remember that even though you're not voting at a traditional voting place, you are still going to need one of those forms of ID uh, that Mary Grace mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, and one more final thing, I said finally twice, but this is the <laughs> final, final thing, um, is that there's just an additional kind of absentee ballot that you want to be aware of. Um, this is called an emergency absentee ballot. So just like the name says, it's for if there is some sort of emergency that keeps you from um, being able to vote. So if you're hospitalized or if there's um, a death in the immediate family, um, and you miss the absentee registration deadline, or you're unable to vote in person, then you can request this emergency absentee ballot. Thank you so much. Guys, is there, is there anything else people out there need to know about the 2020 general election, registering, voting, all of that? 
Um, just please keep a lookout on our website. We will have additional facts and information posted that we could not add to, to this podcast, but keep a lookout to our voting website for additional information. Yes, and as always, if you have any questions about what your rights are as a person with a disability trying to vote, you can call us at uh, 800-552-3962, or again, visit us online at dlcv.org. Guys, thank you so much for coming in, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And now, a DLCV highlight. John is a 75-year-old man with mental illness who had been a patient at a state psychiatric facility for over five years. He was determined to be ready for discharge and was placed on the extraordinary barriers list where he waited for over a thousand days for a new home in the community. DLCV began working with him and with intensive advocacy and collaboration with the hospital, community services board, and the Department of Behavioral Health, John was successfully discharged into his new community placement where he could be close to his family. And that's been this DLCV highlight. Well, like always, I have been blown away by Ms. Jolifon. I, I always learn so much when they come on this podcast. I know we all have our sort of niche areas, but um, it's incredible what kind of changes happen so quickly uh, in terms of voting. And I am suitably informed. Absolutely. So everybody, please register to vote if you haven't already. And, you know, use use these time frames, use these um, deadlines that we talked about to, you know, make sure that you get everything you need to be able to vote in time to vote. And I believe there are resources on our website, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, always have uh, resources on our website, which is dlcv.org. And thank you guys all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, which is brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter at DisabilityLawVA and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Virginia Ferris. And I'm Ren Fazuski. And this has been Rights Here. Rights Now. <laughs>